fantasies, pulsing swells, them who knows them, seven tales, on distant reefs, on fatal shores, heroes and heroines from days of yore. They live on the fringes, pack mondo cones, orbs of mortal conequence, pulverizing bones, adventures and nightmares for young and old. These are the greatest stories never Welcome to the greatest stories never told, Nidoc Week special. Nidoc Week stands for National Aboriginals and Islanders Day Observance Committee, and it's a pretty big deal here for our First Nations people. So what better way to celebrate this week than to have a look at one of the all-time underground Australian and Indigenous sporting outfits, the Redfern All Blacks. This story was first published in Vice Sports Australia back when I was working as the editor of Vice Sports Australia and New Zealand, and it charts the renaissance of the club from the bad old days of the 1990s when heroin ripped a hole through the suburb and indeed a lot of Sydney at the time, up until the current day where uh, you've got gentrification removing a lot of poor people from the inner city, a lot of indigenous people and white folk alike. But on the flip side of that, you also have uh, a lot safer city with less crime and drugs. Uh, I'm not saying that they've cured the problem at all. They just really moved it somewhere else, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, But these are some of the issues we're going to get into in this article. Uh, And and as an aside, it's been a big week for Redfern. Uh, They just saw the debut of Tyrone Munro, a young 18-year-old superstar in the making and former Redfern All Blacks player. Uh, He debuted for the South Sydney Rabbitohs on the weekend, had an absolute blinder in their win against the New Zealand Warriors, I believe, coming up with a try and a try assist. And uh, on a personal note, yeah, I've got plenty of history with the Redfern All Blacks, for better and for worse. Towards the end of my days playing rugby league, I was the captain of a rival team, the Maroubra Lions, and ended up in a, a pretty full-on beef with the Redfern All Blacks. This was during the bad old days, and I definitely came out the worst for wear with a couple of titanium plates in my jaw, and uh, courtesy of a broken jaw, and wearing a couple of dog shots, actually. This was ironic given that I was working for the uh, Aboriginal radio station at the time, Koori Radio 93.7 FM, uh, which in many ways was the genesis of this year radio show. And, uh, you know, I owe a lot of 
uh, yeah, I owe a lot of debt to the Indigenous community in Australia, in Redfern in particular, just for giving me a start on their radio show for one. I might have been the, one of the only white people ever to hold down a gig there. Uh, also, you know, my mum had some really good relationships with uh, some of the crew down in Redfern in the 90s. We were living in adjacent suburbs there in Camperdown and Dremoyne, her partner from Redfern and uh, a lot of her good friends were from Redfern and we spent a, a, a lot of good years down at the block there. Um, so yeah, you know, complicated uh, as many things are, you know, playing rugby league, being the captain, uh, you know, and, and being a, a pretty decent player. Uh, it was always my understanding that race had no part in football. Once you cross that stripe, it didn't matter where you were white, black, purple or fucking pink i was gonna give it to you and i was gonna do my best to win um but yeah uh, obviously a team called the redfern all blacks that is so closely identified with race and all that comes with it can see uh things misinterpreted and um you know actions come to seem to represent something that they don't uh so yeah it was a, a pretty bleak period of my life for sure and, uh, yeah, I can actually remember sitting in a judiciary alongside Shane Phillips, the guy you're going to hear a lot from in this episode, uh, as well as the guy who'd broken my jaw, a young kid who had already been incarcerated and would uh, go back to jail again. And, uh, yeah, you know, man, it was tough. We took our own uh, Indigenous friends to the judiciary just, just, just to kind of quell the quell the beef a bit make it look like or, or or make you know the truth apparent that we were not racists this was about playing hard out football and um yeah so i i this was a good opportunity for me to actually go back and, and, and meet some of the faces behind this iconic club uh you know i never held any grudges um but i was interested to see you know what the culture looked like behind closed doors and yeah, it, it, it was a it was a real a real eye opener in, in ways, but at the same time, also pretty predictable. Uh, I understand football. I understand uh, what it means to the indigenous population, and it was pretty sick to see you know these old school rugby league icons like Dean Witters coming back to play for Redfern, Nathan Merritt. Uh, I had actually the, the pleasure of playing against Wes Patton. Uh, at the end of my footballing time, uh, playing A grade there against Redfern. And yeah, a classic club with plenty of history and plenty of baggage. Inside the remarkable resurgence of the Redfern All Blacks. Sydney's inner city Indigenous rugby league team are on the cusp of park footballing immortality, but will gentrification get them first? It's a long way from the 40,000-seat stadium's former National Rugby League star Dean Witters once played in, but the nerves are clearly still there. The 37-year-old former Sydney Roosters, Parramatta Eels and South Sydney Rabbitohs star cuts a solemn figure in the sheds at Erskineville Oval as his team, the Redfern All Blacks, prepares to do battle with arch-rivals, the Coogee Wombats. Today's all going to be about work rate. How hungry are you to stop that try, he says. There is no bigger test in park football than the Wombats. The famously Braboy-affiliated team from Sydney's southeast have won more premierships than any team in the history of South's juniors, a park football competition which is fair claim to being the toughest in the country.
For the past two years, they have made the grand final only to be beaten both times by a resurgent Redfern All Blacks outfit many are calling the best in the club's history. This is by far, statistically and on record, the best All Blacks team ever, says Shane Phillips, the All Blacks assistant coach and life member of 40 years. Along with back-to-back South Sydney premierships, the All Blacks have also claimed back-to-back Koori knockout state titles, as well as taking out the playoff between the top Indigenous New South Wales and Queensland teams. With a historic double three-peat in the offing, they are on the precipice of park footballing immortality. A remarkable feat considering many of their players were responsible for plunging the community into disarray a few short years ago. We were all the fellows who brought the place down, says Shane. We used to be the same people who were the ones who caused all the problems and used to be part of the drug dealing and the drug using, the violence and the drunks, he says. The success of the All Blacks mirrors that of Redfern and the inner city generally, where there are signs of peace and prosperity following nearly three decades of crime and dysfunction. Once a proud working class area topped with a fervent activist streak, the iconic Freedom Rides were spawned here in 1965 and led by local Aboriginal University student Charlie Perkins. Redfern deteriorated radically throughout the 1980s, 90s and into the early 2000s as drugs, crime and violence engulfed the area. The tensions reached a peak in 2004 following the tragic death of 17-year-old Indigenous teenager TJ Hickey who was impaled through the chest by a fence paling after being thrown from his bicycle during a police pursuit. The police were cleared. He died shortly after, triggering rioting in the suburb that resulted in more than 40 injured police and the Redfern train station set on fire. With relations between Sydney's indigenous population and law enforcement at an all-time low, Local elders, including Shane Phillips, extended an olive branch to police in a bid to calm the streets. Over the coming years, police and the Indigenous community would work together on a number of mentoring programs, including Clean Slate Without Prejudice and Never Going Back, aimed at breaking the cycle of crime and dysfunction. We used to think in deficits. We would react to everything that was wrong before because everyone used to tell us what was wrong, says Shane. So we said, we're going to move the lens. We're going to teach them routine and we'll partner with the police so the police can learn about these kids. And while that's happening, we're going to show them everything that's right about their people, why they should be proud, and then they'll represent their people. And that's what happened. It's all off the back of that, he says, adding, it's growing from a community program to a movement. In a sign of how far the goodwill between police and the Redfern community extends... Two of the players in the All Blacks squad are prisoners from Long Bay Jail who have been let out to play as part of a day release program. The man running the water bottles, meanwhile, is Luke Freudenstein, the local area commander for the police. All Blacks centre Eli Roberts is one of the success stories from the Clean Slate Without Prejudice program. Eli grew up between a number of housing commission flats in Glebe, Redfern and Waterloo, and spent much of his teenage years in and out of juvenile detention centres. With the help of mentors and the Redfern All Blacks, he has turned his life around. I went from this kid in and out of juvenile justice centres to playing semi-professional football, says Eli, who just completed pre-season with the West Tigers NRL club, 
and hopes to follow in the footsteps of All Blacks teammate Josh Adokar, who made his NRL debut for the Tigers in 2016 before taking up a spot on the wing for NRL heavyweights, the Melbourne Storm. The program just made me look at things better. It got me in the routine and made me a better person, and it just made me get to know the police better. Before, I used to have a problem with them, you know. I used to think they were out to get me, he says. Eli says the mentoring programs, along with the success of the All Blacks, are also having an effect on the next generation. The younger boys, there weren't much of them around playing football, but now they're all playing football and doing good for their community, he says. Playing for your community, playing for your family, it's an amazing feeling, he says. How long Redfern will continue to produce players of Eli and Josh Adokar's ability is looking uncertain. From a peak of around 40,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders living in the area in the 1970s, only a few hundred remain. The block, a famous Indigenous housing project, has long been demolished and sits as a vacant lot in the centre of the city as the Aboriginal Housing Corporation, the organisation chartered with rebuilding it, struggles to find the funds they were given for construction. We have a grave situation in relation to housing in our community, Our population in Redfern has gone from 40,000 when I came here as a young woman in the 70s to less than 300 now. It's all deliberately designed to push the black community out. That's what gentrification is about, local elder Auntie Jenny Munro says. Elsewhere in the suburb, the state government is in the process of carrying out one of the world's most aggressive gentrification programs, where they will aim to relocate up to 4,000 poor elderly indigenous and disabled residents from the nearby social housing towers under a dubious plan to privately develop the area and invite a portion of the original residents back over the coming 10 to 20 years. Those in between are forced to compete with cashed-up young professionals, property investors both foreign and domestic, and skyrocketing rents to keep their foothold in the community. Many cannot and find themselves banished to the margins of society where housing is cheaper and work is scarce. It's really sad, says Paul Brambles, the All Blacks chaplain. Some of those families have been here for generations, and they have to go out there and make new friends, and there's not much to look forward to in those places. The corridors are harder to work, it's harder to find a network, he says. Brambles knows what it's like to live on the fringes without support. He was born and raised in the inner city, though was given up for adoption after his single parent couldn't afford to keep him. He spent the next three decades in and out of foster homes, crime, drug addiction, and prison. He sees a cruel irony in the growing prosperity and gentrification of Redfern. Some of these people are part of this positive change, and then all of a sudden they're being pushed out, and they feel like, is this my reward for helping change the suburb? That I've got to go to another place that I'm not familiar with and start all over? Where's the justice? Where's the fairness? He says, adding, We all need a network. We all need to belong somewhere. It's almost being dispossessed of the land again and told where to go and not having the choice. Back at Erskineville Oval, the game is opening up and it's playing straight into the hands of the All Blacks. Since their inception in 1944, they have forged a reputation as the entertainers of park football, with an expansive, free-flowing game hallmarked by plenty of offloads, unpredictable ball movement and exhilarating broken field running. 
The team's song, Keep the Ball in Motion, is a testament to the club's DNA and no one is more wrapped up in it than Shane Phillips. The team is keeping me alive for sure. It's given me drive, he says. For 40 years, he has either played, coached, mentored, driven buses, run water, or strapped players. Prior to that, he recalls watching his father and uncles play for the All Blacks during the, quote, bad days of racism, when you just had to wear it, he says. Somehow, everyone just kept managing to play football, he says. Today, both his boys play A-grade, while his daughter, Lavina, aged 33, is arguably the greatest women's rugby league player Redfern has ever produced. They're the same people here, but they turned it around. They're actually focused on what they can do to build the community. And this isn't just about football anymore. It's about who you represent as your family and your community, he says. With the game poised on a knife edge, it falls to the captain, Withers, also known as the Magic Pudding, to steady the ship. It's a more portly Withers to the portly Withers you'd remember. But he's all class when the time comes. Spotting a pair of young Wombats defenders on the short side, he calls for the ball, gets the legs pumping, and easily bowls the youngsters out of the way to score the match winner. In the sheds after the game, the softly spoken Witters finds voice, owning up to his failures, harshly criticising another elder in the squad, and praising the efforts of the teenage fullback who curbed his disciplinary problems to turn on a blinder against the Wombats. Apparently, they've already decided the premiership is going to be decided between them two teams, Southeastern and Moore Park, Witters finally says. Well, we got them two teams in the next two weeks, so let's build on this momentum. The beating of bins and eskies begin as the words to the team song, Keep the Ball in Motion, ring out. This article was first published on Vice.com in 2017.